hello everyone. My name is David, one of the pastors here. And today we're going to look at an amazing story, an amazing account of Jesus found in the book of Mark, which is in the New Testament. And the story that we're gonna be looking at today is placed within a larger story. The larger story, of course, is the story of salvation. Uh, it's the story of God the Father rescuing the world through his son, Jesus Christ. The particular story that we're gonna be looking at takes place uh, on the Sea of Galilee in the first century with some fishermen. And it reminds us, it reminds us um, that God is a God of the details. This is really important. God is not a God of generalities. God is a God of the details, of the specifics of this world, of our day-to-day -day lives. And so I think a good question to ask as we enter into this passage is this. Where do you long to see Jesus? Where do you long to see God in your own day-to-day -day life? I think that's an important question. Where do you long to meet Jesus? Well, the passage we're going to be looking at, the story that we're going to be looking at, is found in Mark chapter 4. So if you have a Bible, turn to Mark chapter 4, and we're going to begin in verse 35 and go to verse 41, okay? So Mark chapter 4, uh, beginning in verse 35. It's, it's a well-known story. It's, 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 you know, even Rembrandt did, a, I believe, a painting of this particular story. Um, and it's when Jesus calms the storm. So Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and they said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you no faith? And they were filled with great fear. And they said to one another, Who is this? Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Jesus, who are you? Who are you that even the wind and the sea obey you? Jesus, we pray that you would speak your truth, who you are, into our hearts today. And so give us soft hearts. Give us a, a heart to receive what you want to say to us through your word today. That's our desire, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so this story that we come across in, in, in the book of Mark in chapter 4 uh, takes place in an interesting place. It's, it's actually part of a section in the book of Mark that runs from chapter 4 to chapter 6 and is bookend by these uh, two stories. One story is the story of Jesus calming the storm. The other story is Jesus uh, finding this young girl who had died and raising her to life. And I think it's interesting because in both stories you have storms in a way. Uh, one is a storm of outward circumstances when everything kind of goes in directions that we did not anticipate them going. And the other one uh, is an internal storm uh, that comes through uh, deep grief and deep suffering. And we're going to be looking at the second story actually in a couple of weeks. But today we're going to look at 
uh, Mark chapter 4. Um, but with one other thing that shows up in this whole section is, is actually a warning. It's an important warning. Uh, because in this section, and actually all throughout the book of Mark, many people see Jesus, they hear his teaching, they see him do amazing things, but they don't respond well to him. Um, oftentimes they just, they even ask him to go away. Uh, they want to have nothing to do with him. And it's only those who are completely desperate. They're completely desperate to encounter Jesus. To, they need Jesus. They are the ones who receive the most help. They're the ones who meet Jesus in a life-changing way. Okay, so in our passage, what do we come across? Well, we've, we, we read that evening was coming on. When evening had come, um, Jesus says to his disciples, he says to, to, to his followers, he says, let's go across to the other side. Let's take your boat, your fishermen, let's go get in your boat and sail across to the other side. And we read that um, it's not just the disciples that are traveling across, there's other boats apparently. So it's interesting, you have people who want to have fellowship with Jesus and other people who want to stay safely on the shore and kind of watch things. Yeah, I think it's a good question for myself. Am I, do, is my desire to have fellowship with Jesus or do I want to just look at Jesus safely from the shore? Anyhow, so you have people that go with Jesus. Now, on one hand, sailing across the Sea of Galilee shouldn't have been a big deal. Uh, these are fishermen, after all. Uh, they, um, they, they, they know how to, they go across the Sea of Galilee all the time. They know how to handle a boat. They know how to handle their craft. But ironically, these fishermen who are experts in sailing are the ones who panic and the carpenter, the mason, Jesus Christ, is, um, he sleeps on a sandbag in the back of a boat, right? And so the disciples struggle to be disciples when the storm breaks out, actually. We read that the waves were breaking into the boat. Uh, we read that the boat is filling, filled uh, full of water and and uh, the disciples, they see the storm, they see the rising waves, they look at their feet and their, their ankles are filled, you know, covered with water already, and, and then they look for Jesus. And where's Jesus? Well, Jesus is asleep. But instead of seeing Jesus being asleep as maybe a picture of trust in God or, or anything like that, they see Jesus as sleeping in the back of the boat as a picture of what? Of neglect of the fact that Jesus does not care what's going on. Uh, he doesn't care what's going to happen to them. Now, as good Jews, the disciples, um, the fishermen, they knew about God. They knew about Yahweh. They knew their, their, they knew their Bible. They knew um, the Psalms. And they, they knew in particular Psalm 107. I think Psalm 107 is an interesting psalm because um, we read about this. It says, um, in Psalm 107, he says, some went down to the sea in ships, right? Doing business on great waters. And they saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. Uh, and then, then we read this, that God, they, they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad of the waters, that the waters were quiet, and that he brought them to their safe haven. So they knew all this. They knew the stories of Scripture. They knew 
the, uh, the story of their salvation, that God himself led the people of Israel through the sea, through the Red Sea, uh, into, into, into safety. So they knew all this, but none of this was coming to their mind at this point during the storm. And I think, you know, that's actually an issue uh, in our lives. It's an issue in my life. Um, I mean, I know what is true. I know what the word says. I know about God's promises. I know about his sovereignty. I know about his presence. I even teach on it, right? <laughs> but man, when the storms come, I'm so quick to forget what I know to be true. How about you? Well, often I'm, I'm like these disciples. <laughs> when, when the storms come, even though I know what is true, when the storms come, my first reaction is this. God, do you not even care? That's what the disciples say. Do you not even care that we are perishing? Do you not care? And I think in our confused, fragmented world overcome by wars, by economic and climate disasters, uh, heat waves, <laughs> pandemics, sickness and death, uh, injustice, uh, a world that seems to be driven by blind chance. And it feels, it feels at times that God has just left us to our own devices, where he seems cold and indifferent. And the question that a lot of, that comes to mind when we see all the stuff that's going on in this world is, is the question that the disciples ask. God, do you not even care? Do you not even care? Now, in the case of the disciples, and often in our own situations as well, this whole question, God, do you not even care? Do you not care? Is complicated, especially in this story, by one important detail. It's a very awkward detail. And the detail is this, is that these storms, the storm that they experience, come about because they're trying to follow Jesus. I mean, Whose big idea was it to go to the other side? It was Jesus' idea. Um, it, it was his idea, and they're following Jesus' leading. And so the, the storm comes, the storm comes as a result of them obeying Jesus' words. Uh, that's a bit strange. Now, I mean, if they were planning to go across the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus says, you know, I'm not so sure this is a good idea. You know, look at, there's clouds in the sky. Maybe wait till morning. And the disciples said, ah, we don't care. We're fishermen. We're gonna go across the sea anyhow. We don't care what you say, Jesus. And the storm comes, and they're in trouble. Okay, that would make sense. <laughs> it's their own fault. But here, this is different. They're actually following the teachings of Jesus and it lands them in this life-threatening storm. Now, what do we do with this? Well, I think there's a couple things we need to think about. One, it's a reminder that to follow Jesus does not mean everything is going to be just okay. Um, if you're ever at a church that says, you know what, if you follow Jesus, your life will be nothing but sunshine and rainbows from here on out. Um, leave that church because that's false teaching. Because nowhere in the Bible does it say that. There's a cost to discipleship. There's a cost to follow Jesus. I mean, Jesus himself says, in this world, you will have trouble, right? There will be storms if we decide to follow Jesus. Being a faithful disciple may actually result in storms that we experience. 
Now, last week, this is interesting, I read, I read this book called um, uh, Live Not By Lies. It's by a guy named Rod Dreher. It's an interesting book. Among other things, he, he writes, he, he talks about the experiences that Christians have under totalitarian regimes. And um, people in Eastern Europe, they understand this well. Uh, when you show your allegiance to Jesus um, under the reign of Ceausescu or under Stalin or whatever, or even under totalitarian regimes like under Hitler, um, when you show allegiance to Jesus, um, there are problems. There are storms that will result. It will land you into trouble. And you know, this has been the case throughout history, whether it be under, under Nero, again, under Hitler, under Stalin, under Ceausescu, under, even under uh, Xi Jinping in China today. If you show allegiance to Jesus, it will land you in a big storm. And Dreyer's point is that these storms have come throughout history whenever people faithfully follow Jesus. And actually, one of his points is that these storms are, are, are going to be coming more and more if we faithfully follow Jesus, even here in the West. There's a growing cost to, the, to discipleship today. All right, back to the passage. There are storms that you and I can be, expect to experience, um, even some of the worst storms we've ever experienced, when we decide to follow Jesus. Now, that may be challenging enough, but one of the challenging things in this passage is that where is Jesus? Well, Jesus is sleeping. He's sleeping. Why is he sleeping? Well, he's for starter, he's probably quite tired. Um, so tired that he's, he's one of those guys who could sleep under any circumstances. And, you know, as a chronic insomniac, I, it always drives me crazy when I see people say, ah, I can sleep anywhere, I can sleep, you know, and I'll just take 10 minutes and fall asleep, or, you know, I, I can't sleep under the best of times. Um, <laughs> but there's more to it than simply that Jesus is tired. Why is Jesus sleeping? Well, he sleeps because he trusts. Jesus sleeps because he trusts that all things and all times are in his Father's hands. Jesus sleeps because he knows the Psalms. He knows that God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in times of trouble. He sleeps because he knows that the Father gives his beloved rest. Now, for those who are on the boat, what do they see? Do they see, oh, this is Jesus, you know, trusting the Father? No. All they see is, man, there's a storm, and our Lord is sleeping. They don't see trust. They see neglect. They see apathy, maybe even. The question, do you not even care that we perish? That's what they say to him. Do you not even care that we perish? Jesus is sleeping, and they are about to die. Yes, they're expert sailors, and maybe on their own strength they've gotten through stuff before, but man, this is a storm unlike they've, a storm that they've ever seen before, and they do not think they're going to make it through. Uh, everywhere they look, they see the danger of the storm. It's interesting. In, uh, uh, the, the sea, in, in, in Israel's mindset, the sea always symbolized chaos and death. Well, here it's a literal symbol. It, it will cause not just chaos, it will cause death. Chaos and death are going to win this night. And so you have these, these disciples who've been called by Jesus in the first place. They've been called to go onto the sea 
by Jesus, and now they're facing a storm like they've never seen before. They're afraid, they're about to die, and their master, whose big idea was it to go on the sea in the first place, he's asleep. Teacher, do you not care that we perish? Do you not care? Now, let's just pause here for a moment because I, I do think that is a challenge that a lot of people have with God. People may believe that God exists, um, but they'll say, oh, yeah, maybe God exists, but look at the mess of this world. Look around. Uh, if he does exist, well, he's, he's, he, he sure doesn't care. He's asleep. He's apathetic. You talk about the love of God and his compassion, well, where is he? He's asleep in the storms of this world. I mean, this is something that C.S. Lewis, um, an early, uh, not an early, but in the 20th century, uh, uh, a Christian, he, he actually wrote a book on the problem of suffering in this world. And it's, it's, it's an interesting book. It's called The Problem of Pain. But then when his wife died of cancer, he wrote this book called A Grief Observed. And in the book of Grief Observed, he says, like, God, where are you? You know, I cry out, and it's like all of heaven is, sh is, is closed and will not even hear my voice. Uh, it's, it's, it's cold and in indifferent to my pleas for help. I think a lot of people today are facing deep loneliness, a deep sense of emptiness. Um, and they ask the question, you know, you, you, you talk about God, you talk about his love. I, I, I don't even know if he cares. And that may be your question today. God, do you not even care? Well, that's what the disciples are crying out. That's what they're thinking then on this dark night. Do you not even care if we perish? All right, well, what does Jesus say? What happens? Verse 39. And Jesus awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who is this that even wind and sea obey him? Wow. Okay, a couple observations. A couple observations. A few observations. One is Jesus asked them a really interesting question. He says, where's your faith? Where's your faith? Now, why does he ask this question? Well, two reasons. One He's asking them this question, and in doing so, he's reminding them that he's with them on the boat. That he is with them on the boat. Jesus is with us in the boat. So in the midst of the storm that the disciples are facing, the storms of life to come, Jesus is with them. And you know what? That's a game changer. And that is actually the power of the incarnation. What is the incarnation? The incarnation is the glorious news that God is became man, that God um, incarnated. He entered into this world. He so loved this world that he sent his son. Um, and, and the incarnation, the fact that God became man makes all the difference, especially as we face storms in our own life. Why? Well, because it reminds us that the, the God we worship is not a God who is far, far away, sitting on some cloud with his eyes half closed, a trace of a grin on his, on his face, oblivious, apathetic, ignorant to the sufferings of this world. 
No. It tells us, the incarnation tells us that God is in, in the boat with us. He's with us in the boat. He's with us in the OR. He is with us in COVID. He's with us when we hear the bad news from the doctor. He's with us in our fears. He's with us in our loneliness, in our darkness. Yes, we read, even darkness is not dark to him. He is with us in the boat, right? So that's really important. But the other thing is also, <laughs> another thing that's really important is this. Not only is he with us in the boat, but we are with Jesus in the boat. We are with him in the boat. And the incarnation tells us that the God of the universe is revealed in Jesus Christ. The gospel tells us that Jesus was afflicted for our sakes, that he bore our sins, that he died the death that we should have died. He took the penalty for our sins upon himself so that we could experience eternal life. So what does that mean then? Well, it means this, whatever comes our way, Whatever storms you may experience, whatever storms I may experience, they may threaten us, but we do not need to be afraid. Because of Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection, the power and the sting of death has been defeated. In the end, it doesn't matter what storms we end up facing. Why? Because we are with God in the boat. So Jesus asked, where is your faith? Because do you not realize that I am with you in the boat and you are with me in the boat? And then the second thing, what does he do? He looks to the ocean, he looks to the sea, he looks to the storm and he says, peace, be still. I think in the Greek it's actually harsher than that. It's like, shut up, he's saying this to creation. And Jesus speaks at the storm, tells it to stop, for there to be peace and stillness instead, and wonder of wonders... Creation obeys. Creation obeys. Now, on one hand, Jesus' words are directed to the gale on the Sea of Galilee. But by extension, it's also directed to the storms that we may experience in our own life. Jesus speaks to these storms that you're experiencing today, and he says to them, peace, be still. I had a buddy of mine who struggled with, um, with depression. And uh, he said when the depression came on, it was just overwhelming. He says it was, like a, it was like this wave that was ready to rush over him and crush him. And he read this passage in Mark chapter 4. And, 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 and what, what he learned from this and what, what he, he discerned Jesus said to him is this, is that that storm may threaten, but it will not overwhelm him. And when the storm was coming on too strong, he would say, you know, in Jesus' name, peace, be still you will not crush me. Which leads to the third observation. In witnessing this, notice the disciples' reaction. Jesus speaks to the sea, peace, be still. Notice the disciples' reaction. He says, and they were filled with great fear, and they said to one another, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? We read that when the disciples see Jesus do this, they end up being more afraid than they were when they thought they were going to die. They're more afraid. They're more afraid after the sea is stilled, after they saw what Jesus did. Why? 
Well, because up until this point, they thought they had a teacher on board. They thought that they had, you know, someone who taught some interesting things and did some important things on behalf of God. But now they see that the person that they have on board is one who can speak to creation and, 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 and bring stillness, and creation listens to them. And they, their, their minds would go right to Psalm 107. Because who can speak to creation, and who does creation obey but God? And they realize that this teacher that they had on board, this man that they had on board was no man. That they are in the boat with God himself, God incarnate. And when they realize this, wow, they're so afraid. Well, because they're afraid. They're afraid because they've been brought face to face with the reality that, you know what, there's more to this life than simply living and dying. There's God. And at the end of the day, our lives, how we live our lives matters. That we will be given an account to the author of life, the author of all creation, God. And their reaction is fear, but it's a fear that's described in Scripture as the fear of the Lord. It is the fear of the Lord. Uh, and I love the old John Newton hymn, um, Amazing Grace. He goes, "'Twas grace, t'was God's love, God's goodness, God's grace. T'was grace that taught, get this, "'twas grace that taught my heart to fear, "'and grace my fears relieved.'" And so their hearts were like, wow, I'm in the presence of God. But it's also um, the fact that God is present with them will relieve your fears as well. Okay, so what does this passage leave us with? Just a few things. One, this passage leaves us with the uneasy realization that it's easy to be courageous when the sea is calm. <laughs> I got all sorts of courage when things are going well. I can speak, the, you know, nothing can deter me, nothing can throw me off when the sea is calm. But here's the thing, when the wind blows and the storms come, then I have to ask the question, how deeply rooted is this courage? Now you have to realize Mark writes the gospel of Mark. <laughs> he writes this gospel to a persecuted church in the first century. The church that's, that's beginning to experience deepening persecution. And the gospel encouraged them not to give in to fear, not to give in to fear, nor to let it overcome them, but instead fix their eyes on the one who is with them in the storm. Now, just as an aside, I do think in Canada that the storms are coming. The storms are coming for the church. Uh, for the first time in Canadian history, from my understanding, um, to be a Christian, and all that goes with being a Christian in terms of how we understand identity, sexuality, marriage, all that. Um, for the first time in Canadian history, to be a, a faithful follower of Jesus is not seen as a positive thing. It's not across the board, but in, in, in many circles, it's, it's increasingly viewed as negative. So I think the storms are coming and the pressure is growing. But for the church, in many ways, this isn't new. I mean, we're just playing catch up to what most of the global church throughout the ages has, has always experienced. Secondly, this passage leaves us with a difficult question. How will we react when our ship feels tossed about, when we're feeling the waves and the storms of, uh, of opposition? 
Will we be people of faith? Will I be a person of faith? Knowing that Jesus is in the boat and that we are in the boat with Jesus. Knowing who Jesus is. Or will I end up being rebuked because I lost my nerve and I compromised on what I knew to be true? I think that's a big question that comes out of this passage. Finally, this passage leaves us with the tremendous, startling truth of the incarnation, that Jesus is God. He is the truth, the life, and the way. He is God with us, and he will be with us, and will protect us through the storm. Now notice what I said. He protects us through the storm. He doesn't protect us from the storm. There are no stormless seas. In the same way, there's no stormless life. To be human is to experience storms. Now, many of you are in a storm right now. But thanks be to Jesus. He will be our pilot in the storm and he will lead us through, not around. He'll lead us through the storms we're facing in life. And in the end, Scripture teaches us that he will, by his grace and by his strength, lead us safely home. And uh, I love the way the old hymn, uh, Oh, the Deep, Deep Love of Jesus, puts it. I've quoted this before because I love this hymn and I'm learning it. I'm, I'm, I'm learning the words to this hymn. But it, it goes like this. It says, Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Love of every love the best. Tis an ocean full of, bless of blessing. Tis a haven giving rest. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Tis a heaven of heavens to me. And it lifts me up to glory. For it lifts me up to thee. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are with us in the boat and that we are with you in the boat. That you are God incarnate. You are the with us God. And um, that makes all the difference. Thank you. Thank you that uh, you have sent us, you've given us your very presence, your empowering presence, the Holy Spirit, who um, reminds us of your presence, who, who counsels us, who comforts us in the storms of life. And Lord, I want to lift up my brothers and sisters in our church and in churches around the world that are going through storms right now. May they make it through the storm knowing that you are with them. Help us not to lose our nerve. Help us never to get to the place where we say, do you not even care? For we know because of the gospel that your deep, deep love makes all the difference. You loved us so much, you went to the cross, you died on our behalf. You died the death that we should have died to pay the death that we could never pay in order to set us free. So thank you for your deep, deep love. And may we live this week in the storms, whatever we may be experiencing, knowing that you are good, that you are present, and 